This episode of A Hoop's Journey is brought to you by Parkside Brewery and Good Lad Clothing. Continue supporting them as they continue supporting us. Thank you to both Parkside Brewery and Good Lad Clothing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to A Hoop's Journey. Corbs and I have been in vacation mode for uh, a week or so, but uh, we're, we're, we're back on the grind and super excited to have uh, some would consider a triple OG. My Zoom is uh, flashing and everyone's going to uh, maybe have a seizure here because they have to watch me. <laughs> I'm like the glitch on um, Wreck-It Ralph for those oh, of you that have right. kids. Oh, yeah, great, thank you. Great reference. You must have watched that recently then. Yes. Excited to have this guy on. He's probably going to give me a lot of crap, which I which is good. Not many people have given me crap on the show. But um, if you know anything about the name, uh, you know that this guy was a serious baller. Up there in the record books in the UBC men's basketball, played for Canada, um, coached a little bit at the university level as well, and now is a, a family man working in the realty business and selling homes and grinding away. Our second guest from the Salmon Arm region, we have none other than yes. Mr. Casey Archibald on. How are you, brother? Thank you, Mitch. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm doing well. Doing well. Good to be on here. And uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I think uh, last year when we all were going crazy with COVID and uh, went out to Harrison and we ran into each other, we had a nice day on the beach. But unfortunately, that's been Oops. the last time we've seen each other in person. But, uh, you know, Zoom will do for that now, was, I guess. Hey, that was uh, one of the best weekends we had last summer. If, uh, if Leo didn't bite Eli, it would have even been better. <laughs> <laughs> he did, but he's, well, it took him about a week to move on. He mentioned it a few times. The week, you know, <laughs> Remember that kid who bit my toe? Who was that? Oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Things got weird. But let's touch on it, man. How are things for you? You know, your business and what you do for a job. Um, obviously, regardless of COVID, people need places to live. And, and how has that mm-hmm. affected you? And how are you guys doing over there? And, um, you know, as we look forward to uh, better times, double vaccinated i'm assuming or almost there and um how, how's the archibald household holding up yeah we're doing well it's uh it's kind of weird to say that like in the middle of covid when it, when it first happened when it first got locked down my wife actually she took on a new job the first day of lockdown so they delivered her computer to her on a sunday when it worked from home started on a monday you know we we still had child care i was still working i still was going into the office so for for us you know it was we were pretty fortunate. The only thing that really got taken away was, you know, trips to go see family, travel. Uh, so overall, it was pretty good. I mean, my I've never been busier. So for business, it was it was good. But it became a little bit of Groundhog Day. You know, literally work, <laughs> family, work, family, repeat. Um, not a lot else. Uh, so yeah, got my second vaccine on Monday. Knocked me out for about 24 hours. I've never felt so bad and didn't think I was going to make it. And here I am. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Good, man. And didn't you guys just move? Yeah, we picked yeah. the hottest day of, of life. Oh, move. you moved? It was, yes. We moved on the Saturday of 40-degree weather. But, yeah, we, we're all settled. We moved from East Van to, to North Van, doing a huge reno, but living in the basement right now while we do it. And, yeah, it's nice. It's been nice to have a little change of pace. Well, I mean... What's 40 degrees from where you're from, brother? That's every summer for you, you know, your whole life, right? Yeah. I'll take that over rain any day. 100. And good segue, man. Good. Glad to hear. I know you're a positive guy, though. You always have a good kind of just fun outlook on things. And 
you know, I appreciate a few of your, you know, your Instagram posts and reflections and that's good stuff. And I think lots to take away and for people to think about in terms of, you know, what we did over this time and how we could actually see the positive. So that's good, man. Tell us, little guy, what, what's your story? How did basketball come around for you? I'm excited to chat with you a little bit more and get a little more in depth. I know because you're, you know, you're a pretty bashful kind of guy. You don't, you're not going to sit there and talk about your history. But when you look you up, you know, you're a Ken West All Star for five years and All Canadian a couple of years. You know, you're up there with the names like JD Jackson. Like, you drop some buckets. I'm not sure about the defensive end, but hey, you know, everybody's got a role. So, how did that all come into form yeah, for you, man? You shoot it, if you shoot it up, you're going to set some records. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was. I was I was born in East Van. It's pretty funny looking back now, but uh, you know I grew up on Third and Commercial and was really good friends with Levon Kendall. Like he was like my childhood best friend. And growing up, you never know about. I mean, basketball wasn't part of our life then. We were just we had uh, you know some parents that were hippies and that connected, and we connected, and we went to Hastings Elementary and we would skateboard or bike to school. And that's at Hastings, a few years older than us was my sister and Jordan Mason and Gene Wolf. And it's like this random little inner city school had had what ended up being some basketball players, which was pretty interesting. So, yeah, I grew up there, didn't really play basketball when I was there. I played hockey at Britannia, played Trout Lake Little League baseball. That was what I did all summer long. And then my parents, we, uh, you know, I mentioned kind of hippies at heart, bought a a summer home out in uh, Shushot. And uh, after a a few break-ins and car steals they decided to uh move up to shoe shop full-time uh so yeah we i grew up basically grade four onwards out in eagle bay which was about 30 minutes outside of salmon arm it's amazing now it's like you know one of the nicest lakes around Uh, but back then as a kid we had no neighbors all of our neighbors were calgary summer homes so grew up really out in the out in the sticks and uh, went to Sorrento Elementary out there, still just playing hockey and baseball. And that was my life. Like I, 5 a.m., get up, shovel off the car, drive in 30 minutes for 6 a.m. hockey practice, hockey practice, drive back out to school 30 minutes the other direction. So we put on a lot of miles. Uh, my mom was a absolute godsend, just basically a taxi driver for us, uh, supported us completely. And you kind of needed that when where we lived. If we didn't have that, I mean, we would have, who knows what we would have got into. Uh, the people that did live out there, as you can imagine, when you go out to shoe shop now in the summer, it's great. But you can imagine the people that live there year round. It's uh, it's interesting. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was all hockey. It was all baseball. And then in the summers, it was on the lake. It was wakeboarding, water skiing, tubing, running through the mountains, just having fun. It was, looking back, it was a pretty amazing place to grow up. And, you know, I, I started playing basketball on, like, the school team in, like, grade four or five. But... You know, realistically, that's probably like, I don't know, 10 practices a year, maybe. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Very minimal, right? And then uh, in and then in grade seven, it was it was a bit of a blessing. So I went to Sorrento Elementary up there. And, uh, you know, we, we would take a yellow school bus to school. Yes. And our school bus, th- that school got too big. And you can imagine what would happen on that school bus. A <laughs> uh, bunch of hillbillies on the school bus. It got weird. Uh <laughs> And uh, and they, they moved our they moved our uh, our school bus route because uh, it was it was the school got overcrowded 
uh, literally a sewage was coming up in our, in our soccer field. So they, they moved us to a different school. So I moved to my third, third elementary school in grade seven and happened to be in this class with my, with a teacher whose name is Judy now, who happens to be Jordan McTavish's stepmom. And it was just sort of a fluke. And we had this group of kids there that was very rough around the edges, but also extremely talented because we had all these kids from outside the suburbs, farmers, literally hillbillies that lived in weird places. And we came to school and Judy to this day will still say it was the worst class she ever taught. People were pulling scissors on each other. It was chaos, but we were really, we were really good. And we all kind of bought into basketball. And, uh, and then of course, Jordy's dad, Ian, legendary Ian McTavish saw it and got involved and he'd come out. I still remember him coming out and giving us a, a talk and he brought Jordy was at Utah at the time. And he brought us, you know, jerseys and showed us everything, all the he had all the clips and showed us, showed that all to us. So it was pretty motivational as you know, a, a grade seven and uh, we became pretty close family friends with them. And after grade seven, I, you know, I just quit baseball and quit uh, hockey. And to this day, I asked my parents, like, what was that? What was that conversation? Like, how did that happen? Cause that's all I did up to that point. And they were like, I don't know. We asked you if you wanted to register for hockey and you just said, no, and we didn't ask any questions. Hmm. So that was sort of the, the sort of uh, backing my family had of us. It was, you know, no, no questions asked, just support you. And thankfully I was sort of on a good path because of the people around me. And then yeah, in Salmon Arm at the time we had a middle school. So eight to eight to 10 and then a high school. And we had two middle schools. Um, one was Jackson. Um, and that was sort of where all the out of towners and inner city of Salmon Arm came to. And then uh, Shoe Shop was the second middle school. So it was huge rivalries between the two middle schools, which was great. And then we all came together in high school and, uh, I think it's all changed now, but it was, it was pretty fun back then. And it was, I mean, Salmon Arm was a really big basketball town growing up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was mostly the girls, you know, my, my sister was four years older than me. And because we lived 30 minutes outside of town, it wasn't like I was driving home after school. I'd stay there and watch her practice every day. And she, she played for in from grade eight to grade 10 with Brian Gibbons, who was Aaron and Lanny and Tannis's father. And they had a program, a huge program. I mean, Aaron played at Utah. Landy obviously played at SFU. And then the middle sister, Tannis, was the best of them all. And she she burnt out and quit. But she was she was a stud. So it was a really big basketball town. My sister in grade 12 won the, won the BCs, AAAs. And, uh, you know, I remember there was a parade. They were on the fire truck, shut down the town. That's kind of like what I saw growing up, right? When Jordy, Jordy's last high school game, I was still young. But I remember they had to put in more seating in, in the in the school, and you know the fire marshals were there, so it was pretty cool. It was uh, it was very supportive. The town, um, yeah, it was it was awesome. But there also wasn't a lot of basketball outside of just the school. Like we didn't have clubs, we didn't have all that. We played before school. We played at lunch. But... Yeah, go back to the East Van days. Those are some serious names you dropped there. Imagine if the that imagine if that uh, squad stayed together. Hey. Oh, it's no kidding. I mean, it, it's funny to see how it all, how life works and you go full circle. So, you know, Levon and I were super close. And when I moved up to, to Salmon Arm, he came up for a few years to visit. And then, you know, you're grade five, six, you kind of lose touch. And I mean, we didn't, back then you didn't have emails, you weren't on social, yeah. you didn't keep in touch with people. So we just stopped, we just lost touch and then re reconnected at provincial team trials. And, you know, he and I were more or less one, two in the, in the province at the time. And we we're like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's been a, been a yeah, while. Yeah. So pretty, pretty interesting to see how that all, that all works. And then obviously got to know uh, Mace later on in life through SFU and passion chat and all those yeah, guys. Of course. Were there, were there a group of guys 
you know, up there that you were kind of recruiting to come and play with you and, and hang out? Or were you more kind of working on the game yourself? Or when did you start to realize like, okay, like I'm actually like, I'm, I'm enjoying this, but I'm also fairly decent at yeah. it. And when did all those things sort of start to click together? Because I think in the small communities, it's a little, it can be good and bad because you get a good group, right? Or you, you feel maybe a little bit isolated and you're like, okay, hey, why does no one else want to get into this sport with me at the same time, you know? Yeah, we had we had a good group of guys that were all, I mean, they weren't as committed as I was, but they all bought in and were into it, mostly a year older than me. So, you know, my, in, in junior high then, so grade eight, you know, we had a ton of kids, like basically my whole elementary school, and there was a few elementary schools that came in and we had a ton of kids. And we had some great coaches that probably no one in the lower mainland has heard of. But, you know, I had at the time, guy, I don't know if you know the name, Aaron Smith. Um, I think he played college football or he was a stud athlete, you know. He was young at the time, right? Like he was fresh out of college and he was in Salmon Arm and he wanted to build a basketball club. His son, I think his son just graduated high school and is playing college in Alberta now somewhere. Um, but, you know, we had guys like that that were committing to us. And then we had Jim Duxbury, who was my grade nine, 10 coach who played college at Lethbridge, University of Lethbridge. So these guys that they, they weren't trying to climb coaching ladders, they weren't like competing in the lower mainland, but they knew the game and they, they just would rather spend their summers fishing and hang out with their family than, you know, doing the, the provincial team circuit. Right. Mm -hmm. So to be honest, I was a bit of a, I was a bit of a loner. I, you know, we had our, we had our group of guys that would, and girls, like we would, you know, from grade eight to 10, every morning before school, we would play up and down. We'd, you know, we'd, <laughs> we'd make a, a mixtape. <laughs> we'd, we'd blank out the, the swear words, you know, we'd play up and down against the girls. Um, you know, listening to Tupac and with, without the swear words. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we do that every day. And then, you know, the coaches, like I remember coach Aaron Smith, like taught me how to do a power clean in grade eight, you know, and like just things like that. And then, um, so we're just always playing. And then in grade nine, uh, or sorry, in grade 10, you know, another guy on the team got asked to play senior ball <laughs> and I didn't. And I was like, you know, just the internal competitor of me. And I was like, what? You know, I, I kind of, I guess I probably really started to excel like later on, like grade nine, 10, maybe I remember in grade 10, rather than being PE class, uh, again, my PE teacher, Aaron Smith said, you know what, we, when we go outside, you're going to stay in here and do individual workouts and you're going to record how many makes you have. And you're going to, that's going to be your class. Damn. So giving me opportunities like that, which, you know, rather than being outside playing capture the flag, you know, I was inside doing specific workouts and, and he, he also had a really good relationship with, uh, coach Scott Clark. Um, I think, I don't know where their, their connection was, but he brought Scott up to do a, like a, a camp one summer, uh, when I was young and he brought up, uh, do you know the name Kevin Bryan, Kevin Bryan, he played, he played at SFU. He was a point guard. I think he was from Alberta. Maybe I'm not sure. Anyways, he, he brought up Kevin and like Kevin stayed with, stayed at our house when I was in like grade nine. So a man with two first names, you got to watch out for those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You can't, tr can't trust them. Uh, but, you know, it was just sort of like, I was just, uh, people People put a lot of, gave me sort of a lot of opportunity, I would mm -hmm. say. Ian McTavish encouraged me to go down to the Washington State Cougars basketball camp. So, like, my mom and I hopped in the Jeep and drove to Pullman, Washington, and I spent, like, a week in the dorms doing that. And, you know, so that's sort of where I really fell in love with it. And uh, and then and then on that, it was, it was me and my driveway. I probably put more shots up on concrete than I did inside a gym. You know, we had a, we had a hoop on our driveway. And, on the other side of it was the lake. So, you know, it'd be 35 degrees. I'd be out there and get my hundred mates in and then I'd go swim. Just a couple things is listening to you talk is um, like one, when you're in grade eight, like it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no physical thing because you're playing against 
grade 12 girls, but it's the Salmon Arm Golds, man. Like, they're the best girls in the province. So it's like, there's no better workout. The jewels. jewels the sorry. jewels. The jewels. Sorry. The jewels. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, just, I don't understand why we've got away from this whole, you know, you, you have a teacher coach like that, like Aaron, who you're talking about, who gave you the opportunity mm-hmm. to say, listen, okay. I, I see something in you. Here's your opportunity. Go put the work in, right? And and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, why why do we not excel and have people try to excel, you know, more than we do? You know, and I just it's just interesting. I you know I think those stories are few and far between. I mean, we so many kids at our school. I know of kids that we've had that the brothers at our school have given like a key, right, <laughs> to the school, like and just come and shoot, yeah. right? And there's that trust factor and. I don't know. We need more of that. And that's cool to hear. And and I think uh, yeah. not to yeah. harp on the small community thing, but I think that that happens a, a little bit more up there in, in those communities because it, it is a smaller community and you, there is more trust. It's not just some random kid or a random family. Right. So that's awesome, man. And how were those high school years? Yeah, go ahead. It's interesting because, you know, we we had the same struggle. Like, you know, I just want, I wanted to key to the gym and my mom was a, you know, a support worker in the schools. So our, our high school coach said, "Okay, if you come, you can pick up the you can pick up the key, and we'll we'll let you go in there." But my mom had to be there. It was it was never easy, but they made it work. But it was, you know, I remember coming back one Chris one Christmas even. Uh, I think I think it was Christmas. Or it was one summer. I came back I think from playing pro, and uh, I walked into the gym, and the gym's empty, right? And I like just went in there and started getting a workout in. And someone came, and they're like, "Oh, uh, you know, you can't be in here for liability reasons." And I'm like, "I'm I'm by myself." getting shots up. I'm a professional at this time. I'm not going to like run into a wall and hurt myself. Like there's no liability yeah. here. And then someone came and then someone came and like said, Oh, it's fine. But yeah, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to it. You know, in a small town, I think you need to be a lot more self-motivated because my, the amount of interaction I have with coaches was a lot less than what you'd see, you know, with the kids in clubs all the time now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it had to be a lot of self-motivation, it had to be a lot of family support because there was a lot of commuting. I mean, for us, we, we would hop on our little yellow minibus and drive to Vancouver, I don't know, for probably five tournaments a year. And then, you know, back then it was called the Regional Training Center. I don't know what it's called now, um, where we would drive down every Sunday for, to train at the Grizzly Center. Back then, you know, the guy who was Jay Triano ran it, you know. So, at like, it was a grade 11. I'm, every Sunday I'm playing with Jay Triano. And then after that, then it was Ken Shields. And then after that, it was Richie Chambers. So it's like... I had great exposure, but it was also a lot of a lot of work for my family. Mm-hmm. Right, a lot of commitment, no, no doubt. And uh, yeah, you're, you make a good point there. So yeah. much, so much. Well, I think of like JY right now, right? Like he's just constantly like got a 15 passenger van and like coming down to Vancouver mm-hmm. three or four times a year yeah. with his team from PG, like just so they can, you know, so when they yeah. get down here, their first experience of lower mainland basketball isn't the provincials. It's like they get to actually kind of measure themselves. How were those high school years, man? How were the teams? What were the experiences like? And, uh, you know, you played on a couple of provincial teams and, and did that. And how, how was that whole thing? It was great. I mean, I, you know, when I was, again, a lot of credit goes out to the coaches around me. Like Scott, Scott Clark uh, came up because of his relationship with my grade eight coach and, you know, kind of invested a little bit early in me. And so we used to do regional teams back then. I don't know if they still do it. So I'd drive to Kamloops for tryouts for like the U15, 16, 17, whatever it was. And I remember one, one day I was sitting around and 
my dad goes, hey, there's a, the under-17 tryouts coming up for the, uh, the regional under-17 team. And I was, I think, 15 at the time. I was two years younger. And he's like, why don't we just go and you can just, you know, at, at least, you know, you, you get a weekend of hoops in. So I was like, oh, okay. So we go out there and I end up making the team. And at that point, that was a huge turning point because we go from that, we go to the Jamboree. And I remember being at the Jamboree. I'm two years young, younger than everybody else there. And that's when I saw I had a bit of an eye, an eye opener to, you know, lower mainland hoops and seeing guys. And, you know, back then it was like Kyle Wilson, Paul Nakas. Um, and I was just, it was, my eyes were open because those guys were studs to me back then. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, it was pretty funny. And then I ended up the next year making the under 17 provincial team as, as an underager. And Scott was the assistant coach and Mark Simpson was the head coach. And to be honest, like, should I have made the team? Uh, was I, was I the 12th best player at that tryout? Probably not. But I guess they, you know, they wanted to invest in, and I think it's probably the smart thing. You know, the 12th guy is not really going to play much anyways. Why not bring them along if you think you see some upside? But yeah, that was a, that was a huge summer for me. It was, it was funny. Actually, last night I had a chat with Steve Hansen and uh, we were kind of talking about that. And that year, you know, I was, I was the young guy and we had like Chris Porteous, who was, you know, we, we were training like national team level athletes that year and huge props to Scott and Mark. We were training at SFU two a days uh, on the track, in the, in the gym, in the weight room, doing probably training five-ish hours a day all summer long. And, uh, you know, my body couldn't take Like I was just beaten up. And I remember lunch breaks, laying on the floor, feet up, you know, drinking Gatorades. And Chris, Chris Portis is running around barefoot dunking and being like, what is wrong with this guy? Um, <laughs> but it was, it was great. You know, we had, a, we had a bunch of guys there that I, I, I developed so much that summer as an underager. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember the name Brian Kim? Of course. Yeah, Walnut Grove. So he was he was there, and uh, I mean he was the best athlete I'd ever seen in my say, life. At that crazy point. hops, right? Um, he might he might still be. Honestly, he was he was incredible. And I remember we we'd be training, and I'd get switched on to him, and I'd be oh just you know just hating it. But it was it was great. And then that year I came back to grade, I guess it would have been grade eleven, and that's when you know I, I made a pretty big pretty big jump in in my own skill, just because I played a, a summer of training more than anybody would have trained, right? And, uh, and then my grade, that grade 11 year, we made the provincials. So only one team from the Okanagan. So we made it. It was funny. We played Richmond high, my first, our first game. And, uh, growing up, you know, I'd see in the newspaper, Richmond high, Bill Disbro, Atnes Mako, Carla Villanueva. I see all these guys and I was like, Oh, and they talk about how the gyms open before school and how these guys are putting in all these reps. And, and, I, and I was like, Oh man, I, I wish I went to Richmond high. <laughs> and I, uh, and I, you know, honestly, it was one of those things. And then we, we play them the first game at the Agrodome and it's, you know, my first time being there. And, uh, I think I have like 36 and we beat them and it was like, okay, cool. And at the time it was like, my goal was to like make provincials and like be in the, the province newspaper, how we somewhere write about you, you mm-hmm. know? Um, cause we didn't get coverage up there and it's actually funny. Uh, they, they wrote it. They, they kind of, they wrote an article on us, but they call this the salmon arm jewels, the girls mm-hmm. game. So that one, that one hurt. <laughs> that hurt a bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. It was good. And then my grade 12 year, we, uh, we didn't make the provincials. We lost to, uh, Penticton in the finals and Penticton had a bunch of volleyball guys that were like, I think their starting lineup was like six, nine, six, eight, six, seven, six, mm-hmm. six. And, uh, yeah, we just, yeah, we, we didn't, we lost in the finals. So that was, that was a tough one. But yeah, I, I'd say I had a pretty like small basketball for me mm. in high school. There was not a lot else going on, and uh, you know, dealing with like recruiting and training and trying to make provincials at a salmon arm, and so 
no, it was, it was fun. That was, I have a lot of good memories of it, but it was very, you know, single focused. That experience with Clark and Simpson, like, I mean, this is what I mean. That was the best part about the provincial team. If you lucked out and like the coaching you would get, regardless where you're from, did your training change when you came back that's after that summer? Like, did you realize, holy smokes, like tremendously. Yeah. And it goes back to the RTC um, with Jay Triano. He gave us a very basic, you know, binder with loose leaf paper with X's and O's drawn on it and make 25 from this spot, this spot, from this spot. It was basically like a workout to make 150 shots. And that was my Bible, literally. Mm -hmm. Go home from the RTC on a Sunday, I've got this. So now I've got to follow this routine every day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was very basic. You know, start on the hoop, spin the ball out, turn, catch, shoot. 10 from, you know, it was basic. There was nothing rocket science about it. There was no like, there was no like dribble with a heavy ball and a small ball under a mesh and while you're being pulled from behind, you know, there was none of that. With a foam roller and underneath your arm. Thank goodness there wasn't because I, exactly, yeah. and thank goodness there wasn't because I had no one to do it with. Yeah. You know, my, my mom was great, but she, she wasn't going to be, be out there like pulling a parachute behind me. So. <laughs> We'd like to have seen it though. Oh, yeah, that'd be something. And then, uh, yeah, Triano kind of started it. And then they were, you know, Scott was cut from the same cloth as Triano mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, they, he learned he learned from him. Um, so the training was very similar. So they gave us the provincial team training book. And I'm probably the only guy that actually followed it. You know, we go back and I remember interval training. So I'd go and I'd be running along Eagle Bay Road, which is like country road along the lake. I mean, it's beautiful. But I'd be doing my, I'd have a stopwatch and I'd be sprinting for a minute walk for a minute sprint you know and following this calendar from july to september thoroughly mm-hmm. and you know and that's i think that's why i made those teams because you know i could get 13 on the beep test and you know it wasn't like it's just because of what i put in mm-hmm. right? no for sure absolutely but yeah scott and mark they pushed us hard and having those like university coaches at that time it was great you know i, I felt during the year while i was with them I, like during the summer i got worse as bad basketball and then I go back to my high school team and I'm like, well, I, I'm significantly better now. So I saw that at many different points in my career mm-hmm. too. But that was the first real taste of what well, I'd say professional coaching. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, you think like two guys that are still doing it and still pretty relevant, right? Like, yeah. When does the recruiting start to happen for you? And are you thinking, I, I just like for me, when I, I think back, I'm like, I never really thought about when I thought I was going to play basketball the next level. I just kind of, Mm-hmm. It just kind of happened, you know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. like, was it something, was it pinned up on your wall? Or did some coaches sort of, I mean, you got a guy like Clark who's obviously in your grill and is involved, so you know that there's some interest there. But what, was it a goal for you? Did it become one, or was it? Yeah, I feel bad for the coaches back then. They literally had to call these, you know, high school kids <laughs> on Sundays and talk to them. Now I'm sure they just text. Oh, yeah. Thinking back, like, they probably hated those conversations as much as we did. Like, no one wanted to talk to each other on a Sunday afternoon. Like, hey, how was your week? Chopping it up with Casey, a high school kid. What'd you do? Yeah. yeah. We're still interested in you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I'd get those calls. Um, Thompson Rivers back then was uh, UCC uh, Caribou. And I went up to a camp there. Nevin Gladdy was the coach. Gladdy, yes. Nevin Gladdy. Nevin Gladdy was also a huge, he, he did a lot for me. And, uh, that was, uh, they were a really good program. Absolutely. And I was in, I think, grade nine or grade eight or one of those summers. I went to, you know, one of their, one of their summer camps. And back then, like the university coaches were actually involved, you know, it wasn't just like a, a moneymaker. They were like, they were there and they were like, and he, I remember he brought me up. I think I won the one-on-one ladder, like a grade nine or something. I like 
got in a fight in the final game with some guy from Hope. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we, he, I remember he took me up to his office after, and I think they were sponsored by Pony at the yes. time. And he was, you know, giving me some giving me some pony swag. <laughs> and uh, at that point, he basically said, you know, like, we're here for you. Um, and, you know, I had a spot at Thompson or at Caribou College. And, uh, and but what was great is he, he invited me to all their runs. So when I was like grade nine, 10, I'd go drive to Kamloops and play against, you know, that team, which was good. You know, Porter, Skybuck, Bowie was there. Um, so it was like, you know, no matter what level you, you're playing if you're five years six years younger it's going to be good right so that was huge and i knew like my goal was just to get a scholarship to play basketball that was just my goal um you know i think i i wanted to go division one i had a bunch of you know i got all the letters one school that was sort of interested more than just letters was princeton i wasn't smart enough or poor enough because you've got to you've got to either get academic scholarship or uh, financial aid okay right so I, I don't think I was going to spend 40 G's to go there. So that, that was one. Um, I went on a visit to a school in, Bo- visit to in Boston. Stonehill Academy is a D2, uh, kind of like a private school. Um, went, had a, had a couple of JUCO offers. Uh, Western Washington was kind of toying me around for a little while. I went down there. Bernie Love, uh, Bernie Love had a connection with the, uh, the assistant down there. Domingo, is that his name? I don't know. Shout out Bernie Love, though, man. Yeah, that's the name I haven't heard on the podcast. I don't think. No. Um, yeah, he 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 took he he took me down because he knew the assistant at Western. I went down there and I played with them. And that was it was beautiful. That campus was amazing. It was beautiful down there, and I probably played the best basketball of my life there. In this run, I was playing. I was in, I guess grade eleven or twelve, and I was playing against their team and played very well. And they weren't really. They were kind of just like recruiting me for the sake of recruiting me. And then when I played down there, then they kind of. They turned it around and they were never, I was never their A guy and I knew it. Right. You know, I had a Santa Clara came late in the game, but it was like UBC, Kevin Vern had been recruiting me. They brought me up to Penticton on a trip. SFU, obviously. UVic never talked to me. Uh, no schools really outside of BC, I don't think. Not that I remember anyway. So, yeah, you know, I, I could have gone to a JUCO. I could have gone to a D2. I probably could have gone to a D1 if I really wanted to. But it's funny looking back, like, my dad and I were putting together cassette tapes and mailing them off to like Montana State and writing hand letters. You know, it was just so different. They mail you like the survey back about yourself and you have to like fill it out with a pen and then mail it back. It's like, this is, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. We found, we found, we found this guy in Salmon Arm that would make a mixtape on a, on a VHS cassette, <laughs> you know? And so we, yeah, I'd like to try to find those one day. Anyways. Yeah. So I, I had some, I had some looks, but nothing was, I remember my final my final uh, list was SFU, UBC, uh, Washington, Western Washington, and this uh, JUCO in Colorado. I think Mike McKay played there actually. Okay, it was a super random uh, random school, and the coach was colorful personality. And I remember Scott Clark put it put it nicely. It was sort of his ne- way of negative recruiting. He goes, you know, kids that are, you're going to play with if you go to the go to JUCO, they're going to have some type of deficiency. <laughs> and he's like. They're, if they're good enough to go Division One and they're not there, they've got some type of deficiency. Like, do you want to go spend a couple of years like that? That kind of—I mean, I still remember that line. Mm. So, anyways, yeah. And I—I I remember making the call. We—we uh, we sat in our living room, and my dad and I, and my mom, and kind of did a pros and cons list of schools. And uh, it was a tough call calling Scott to tell him I wasn't going there because mm. he had probably been recruiting me the longest and the hardest. Um, 
Western Washington was, I think it kind of came down to Western or UBC when I narrowed it down to the Canadian school. And uh, yeah, just decided that my sister went to UBC. I don't know if that played a factor. You know, now being a parent, I don't know if my parent guided me one way without me realizing it or not. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was it was kind of this it was kind of the safe choice. It was safe. Would I do it again? I don't know. But it was it was a uh, it was a it was a great opportunity. And yeah, and I think it worked out right. But interesting reflection. Like uh, Reagan, she actually did her she did her doctorate at uh, Western. So she, I went down. That's beautiful down there. Holy smokes, yes. man! That part of the world is it's yeah, it's unbelievable. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I remember I walked through the cafeteria and you're like hanging over the yeah. ocean there. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you also got to spend time at UBC campus, which is, you know, pretty nice itself. So, yeah. And then things like really take off for you, man. I mean, the numbers and everything don't lie. You know, you're jokingly saying, well, if you shoot enough, but like you fill it, you had some great success. Um, I know you're still like super tight buddies with a lot of the guys that you hooped with at UBC and made some great connections. And then the national team starts to come around for you. Like just talk about those first few days on campus, um, stepping into war and getting after it and, and um, taking things to the next level. Because, you know, I think a lot of people, first second year it's a big transition year like playing time and minutes and and buckets don't really happen right but for you it was pretty smooth maybe a little bit of opportunity yeah. maybe a little bit of timing you know different things that happened but uh how was that coming down were, were you were you nervous or like you mentioned you know your sister being on campus did that kind of take a little edge off for you what what you know what was that transition like yeah i don't it's funny that you say it looked like a smooth transition i don't know if it was <laughs> that smooth for me i Right after grade 12, I, I made the junior national team. So I, I you know, I was in Toronto um, and then we went down to Venezuela and played and, you know, that, that gave me a lot of confidence. And I think that probably also gave Kevin a lot of confidence in me. Right. So, you know, we were down there, like the U.S. the U.S. team that year was Carmelo Anthony, Darren Williams, D. Brown. I, I can't, I, I'm sure a bunch of other guys that I don't remember. <laughs> I remember being on it, being at the bar with them one night down there and being like, why do these guys all have so much money? <laughs> And now looking back, I'm like, oh, I guess they got some, they got front loaded some of their, their salaries. <laughs> and then, uh, but yeah, like Brazil was Tiago Splitter. So yeah, we, we, it was, I had, so I had a little bit of that opportunity going into it. And then I go to UBC and it was, it was to this day, probably the big, that year of my life was probably the biggest learning curve of just life. You know, you're throwing, you're living in dorms. You're kind of like starting over as a person. You're, you have no friends starting over like you, you move to this new city don't know anybody mm-hmm. you've got these teammates but our team that year was older older guys like we had a bunch of older guys um like kyle russell pete hudson uh greg uh, sandstrom like we had, we had these old old guys and relax. then we had like relax <laughs> to you to well, you the, to you the world yes yeah well as a you know to have teammates that are 10 years older right than you, right with a totally in a totally different stage of, yeah totally different stage in life so, and then you're living in dorms with people of all different walks of life and mostly much different walks of life than I came from. So it was interesting and it was a huge learning curve. Basketball was a bit of a struggle. You know, you go from, you're trying to find your, find your, you know, I was ultra competitive, trying to wondering why I'm not starting every game, playing 30 minutes every game, you know, trying to figure that out. Uh, you know, learning from a guy like Kyle Russell is invaluable. Um, just the level of compete day in, day out. Um, you know, 
Yeah, you know, totally. And at the time, we were at totally different stages of our life. Uh, you know, but he was, but still, you just, you just, you just learn through almost osmosis. Um, and the one thing I'll say about UBC is, you know, like my 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 community to this day come from that. Mm -hmm. You know, like Car Carlo, uh, Carlo took me under his wing my first year at UBC, and like we we were like brothers. Uh, Pat McKay uh, took me under his wing, and the three the three of us were literally inseparable for for those years. So we had, it was it was great, uh, but it was a huge learning curve. Uh, I didn't. Even, even know if I'd be able to survive without my mom cooking for me. Uh, so <laughs> it was, it was interesting for sure. And the, uh, the, the UBC experience from my first year to my last year was completely different like that to, to give credit to Kev, the program that he built over those years. Mm. I mean, we got there. Kev's always had a Nike sponsor, right? But like, it was like one pair of Nikes yeah. and you get like a yellow t-shirt from like UBC athletics and we had no assistant coach. If I wanted to work out, I have to like go push those hoops me and Jen Ride would be out there in the mornings, like setting up hoops so I could get shots up. It was it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. What year was your first year? Oh uh, two. Yeah. Okay. So Kev's only like two years into it. Yeah. It was it was Kyle Russell's last last year. Uh, Kev, that's Kev's second, second year. Second or third year. Yeah. So it was, you know, and it was it was it was it was a totally different program. I mean, and then when I was coaching there, it was totally different than my first year. It was very Mickey Mouse in a lot of ways, but you could see he was really trying to try to always vouch for it and build it up and change it. Mm -hmm. But it, it needed, I mean, I would imagine there's still a lot of programs in Canada that, that are like that. It was, you know, it was a lot of work for us to get in the gym and do like, it was frustrating for me because there's things I wanted to do that I couldn't do. But then by my fifth year, that, that, that changed a lot. Like, uh, going to, uh, you got to give your student card just to get a ball you can shoot before practice like what you know like yeah. just wild things like totally, that you know totally. you're like or like yeah i think we had to pay like a, a one-time fee to get a gym membership for the year and uh you know now there's like the private gym which is you know state of the art we were in the the bird coop, uh, coop which, i mean for me it's totally fine loved it yeah i love working out with the with the rest of the students it's great uh <laughs> but you know it was i don't i don't want to pay for it yeah no I don't know if you listen to the Chris Oliver episode. He said the same thing too. Like he's like talking to his athletic department. He's like, why do athletes have to pay like a $150 fee to be an athlete? Like if there's anyone and it goes to, yeah, it's yeah. the same thing. It's like your coach, that, that, that coach who said, you know what? You get to have the gym during class. You know what? You're representing our school and you're competing for our school. You don't need to pay that. You know what I mean? Like I just, it just needs to happen more often. But interesting reflection when you think of like Kev's, I think he had, you know, he had a, big plan for that program and worked hard right right to like hey we need like a beer garden so like why would a, if you're a student on a friday or saturday night what what's the harm in having a couple of drinks while you watch a game you know what i mean like instead of them just sitting in the residence like just different things and different vision and always pushing those boundaries and making sure you guys had good road yeah. trips you would you know you'd go different places and and do different things and then start to bring those american teams up i remember you guys got to play kansas and all that stuff, right? So it's kind of cool that you did see that transformation of the UBC program kind of right in front of you, yeah. which I'm sure sometimes, like you say, first year was annoying. You're like, holy frick, man, yeah. what are we doing here? But then by fifth year, you're like, wow, like you kind of feel like I am kind of important, which you are, right? Yeah, it came, I mean, the program came a long way and I, I think it came a long way from when I graduated to where it is mm -hmm. now, you know, just, just from like strictly the, the back end support that the athlete is huge. Like we didn't have study halls, we didn't have academic people looking over our shoulders we didn't have that stuff so and then those teams man you know some can west titles or mvps for you and all canadian and like 
the thing I appreciate about you is like, you know, that there's this internal like spirit and fire that's like, I'm going to kill everyone, but you would never get that. Like if someone just met you on the street, they'd be like, man, is this guy like a surfer or what? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, and that's, that's, what's kind of cool about you. And talk about those runs and those teams and those, those special moments that you had within the program. Yeah. You know, I don't remember, like if, if someone asked me how many Canada West titles we won, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I know we went to nationals for four of my five years. Uh, I know we lost first game for those five years. Um, and I know the year we didn't make nationals, we lost in Victoria and things got weird after that. And I remember a lot of the other stuff, but I don't remember, like, I'm not the type of guy that remembers stats on a given night or like sequence of plays. I just, I, I have no recollection of that stuff. There's a few moments I really remember, but then they, they're all kind of blurred together. I'm like, is that a real memory? <laughs> or is that a fake memory? Like I remember Carlo at SFU, uh, stealing the ball and getting a breakaway and getting fouled. And I think he hit two free throws for us to win. And I'm like, was that to go, was that Canada West or what was that? But I remember, I remember things like that. I remember playing at SFU and just getting heckled the hardest by guys that are now really close friends of mine. You know, I remember battling with certain guys, you know, especially SFU, UVic had some great battles with those guys. Trinity Western had a, a two year span where we would play Trinity Western. And anytime I touched the ball, they'd boo me for the entire time I had the ball. And those were like super fun moments and times that I loved playing and good times. But then, you know, I, you know, I remember after the game, Saturday night, me, Carlo and Pat McKay would go to the yeah. bar <laughs> and we went literally on repeat. And, uh, you know, th those were where we had so many good memories and, uh, yeah, but you know, I had a lot of really fun teams. Um, so my first year it was, it was a weird team cause we we're so divided. There was like a lot of was older guys, there was guys that lived off campus. There was like some of the younger guys that hung out. So it was a super divided mm -hmm. team who basically just rallied around Kyle, who was the player of the year and, you know, shot 45 free throws a game. And, <laughs> You know, we just kind of filled around around him. <laughs> and then my second year was sort of was sort of our breakout year. Corey Ogilvy was on our team that first year. And a lot of people thought we weren't going to be good the second year because I, I wasn't like, you know, I, I don't know how many points I averaged my first year, maybe maybe 10. I don't know. Um, and Kyle left, who was probably, I don't know, 25, 30 points a game. He, he leaves. And then Corey Ogilvy thought we weren't going to be very good. So he, he took a year off to redshirt or just to take a year off. So all of a sudden, you know, the ball was basically given to me. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was, the, it was like me and Carlo. I, I probably, that year, I probably averaged 20. So all of a sudden, and then we made nationals. And nobody would have expected us to make nationals that year. And so all of a sudden, you know, it sort of became my team. Corey came back the third year. You know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a weird, that was a weird team that year. We ended up losing to Victoria. We, we were, that was probably the most frustrating year of basketball I had. So we were so good that year. We were, that was, that was probably one of the better university teams we had. That was a year, you know, in preseason, we, we beat, I think Georgia, we beat a couple of D1 schools. The best we ever were that year was preseason. Mm. We got worse and worse the whole year. And to the point where by the time we get to Victoria to play Victoria, we lose. And it was like, honestly, like, look, it did it surprise me. Probably not. We just got worse all year. And that was a, that was a tough year. And then we had a big incident after that game. And, you know, we all, Carlo and myself and Pat, we're like, we're just done with it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I touched the basketball after that year. Uh, we were talking about transfer. We were all talking about transferring. Uh, I did talk to Kev, I don't think, for, like, from that point on. And then uh, Kev tracked me down. At a, I was coaching a St. George's basketball camp. And we kind of hashed it out, sat down over a beer on some bar on Dunbar Street and kind of hashed it out. And, you know, we, we, it was interesting because that was the first time we sort of had a man-to-man -man conversation. And uh, I was I was very honest how I felt. He was very honest how he felt. We 
each owned up to some things, we each didn't own up to other things. And then, you know, I said, all right, coming back, let's do this. And uh, and then after that, there was a bit of sort of just, we both just sort of let each other do kind of what we had to do, I think. Mm. So for my fourth, fifth year, there was a bit of, I, I think there's a bit more respect both ways. And we had some great guys come in, like, you know, we had Matt and Bryson come in from high school. And, you know, I was, I was an older guy then, and I just ripped on those guys, probably unfair, unfair to do so. And then, you know, we had Chris Dick transfer over. We had Passion Chad come over. And Passion Chad were... They were, I think they were huge for me, honestly. It was funny. Everybody was trying to make it a big deal. Like, oh, you know, whose team's it going to be? Like, Tasha and I would get these same questions from the Vancouver side and the Vancouver province, like, constantly, like, trying to sort of divide us. But we were great. Like, we, we hung out off the court all the time, and we worked out all the time together. And Pash pushed me hard because – in my mind, it was my team, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, I, I don't, I'm not just going to take a back seat. And so it was like a competitive, and I was like, and this is our year to win this thing. Like, let's go. And, you know, we had, I think we had a pretty good level of respect for each other and became pretty close. And yeah, we had a, we had a, we were, we went undefeated that year until, <laughs> until Canada West. And uh, yeah, we were, we, we had a lot of talent. And then, uh, yeah, then my, see, I even get these confused. I think that was my fourth year. And then my fifth year, I played with Chris Dick. Um, who to this day was probably one of my best teammates I've ever had. Just uh, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. You know, again, we 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 kind of came from two different uh, upbringings. Uh, he's from Winnipeg, uh, ultra religious family, and I came from shoe shop with ultra hippie family. And but just you know, we roommate we were roommates all every road trip together. Kev sort of planted that seed, and yeah, he was just a beautiful teammate to have. And to this day, like if I'm ever in Winnipeg, I'm calling him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I had some great, great teammates, and that that for me was the most special part about UBC for sure. It says that your last two years, you you were sixty and twelve, and then your oh five oh six season, you guys went twenty and zero, which is pretty rare, right? Um, upon reflection, and I think you know, you know, you listen to you talk and and to say you know you made nationals as many times. Like there's guys out there and programs out there that would die to make nationals once every five years, right? And I think. It's this interesting thing that's happened with UBC basketball is, right, it took for so long to get past that first round and then they made a final. and But then you've got Carlton just kind of just kicking everyone along the way. Do you think about kind of just never getting past that first round or is it like it is what it is? Basketball is kind of funky or when you get out with the boys and you play around and then go for a beer after, is it like, man, frick, we, you know, or. Yeah, we, I mean, we don't really talk yeah. about it. We don't really reminisce on like games about old basketball very much at all. Love it. Um, reminisce on other. Yeah, we don't really. Uh, personally, I hate. I hated it. Mm. Uh, you know, for me, like the expectation. It, it, honestly, it bothers me when people are like, "Yeah, but Carlton's so good." Mm. I don't know. I think like for me, it's like you don't play to make national. You don't play to come in second. Like mm. that stuff drives me crazy when people cop out and they're like, "Yeah, Carlton's so good." Oh, well, why? Yeah, they had no reason to be. They have no reason to be better than anybody else. It's not like like no reason. And, and they started right like their first championship was my first year. Okay, because Oswaldo Genti and I are same year played five years. He won the he won five in a row. Uh, we actually beat Carlton one year out in Victoria. They don't count that as a loss because it was a Christmas. Game. I came to that uh, tournament. Oh, yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah. I think Carlo had like one of his best games ever. It was it was on it was on Sportsnet. It was a good one. It's true though, right? It's like. Uh... If you if you spent the whole year to be like, oh well, we're just going to try to finish second this year. Well, what the hell do you lace them up for every single day, yeah. right? Like that's just a bailout at the end of the season to say like, oh well, you know. Yeah, it's useless. I mean, it's, and I hear when I was in the coaching system, I hear coaches talking mm. about that. And for me, I'm like, this is so backwards. 
you know, it's Carlton built it up through like a serious system and hard work. And now the, the program just feeds itself. And now, now it's challenging to catch up to that. But during my, during my era, for all the programs that have been around as long as Carlton has been around, I mean, there's no reason they could do it. Other people could, but yeah, it was, that was very frustrating. I mean, losing those games. Um, I mean, it was so painful not going to nationals that one year. It's sort of, it's kind of how I, how I live my life. Honestly, it's like you try to excel at everything you do. And that's the whole reason for doing it. Like I wasn't, had no interest in going out there and, oh, let's just, you know, hopefully make the playoffs. Like for me, I would, that's just not an option. Those losses were tough. I mean, they got, they got tougher later on in the, the university career. You know, the first year, you know, I was a, a rookie, make it to nationals and Kyle's the player of the year. We lost that first game to Guelph. And so for me that year, it probably didn't sting as much because, okay, I'm just getting my feet wet. And then the second year, I think we lost to York my second year. And that one hurt. Not so much because I thought we should have won, but because you, you lost a national and losing hurts. But, you know, we overachieved that year huge. Fourth year, that one really hurt. That one was painful because that was our undefeated year. We lost to Cape Breton. We were really talented and I played just awful. I was horrible. And that one hurt. That one really hurt. And then my last year kind of flipped the switch and I probably played one of the best games I've, I've played and we lost to Ottawa. And, you know, that just hurt because it was my last year and we, you know, kind of history repeated itself. So, yeah, it's, it's coming from BC and flying out to Halifax, wherever nationals are. It's important to have guys that play a, a lot of years there because for a senior versus a freshman, it, it means two different things. Things start to wrap up and then when is pro hoops in your mind? You know, you go over you, Austria, you put up some numbers, play four years. Like, did someone kind of give you a call and say, hey, you should, you should think about playing? Or did that, was that sort of already in your mind as you were uh, finishing out? I think it was in my mind. I don't really know exactly how it all transpired. Mm. I remember Zim, Tom Zimmerman came in and like talked to everybody about Europe. But at the time I was like, what, what is this? You know, like, what is playing in Germany? Like, what is this? And then... Um, <laughs> You're like right before it kind of really took off. You know what I mean? Like before it was like everybody, you know, it was kind of like, really, this is an option. What? what, I don't know. Like born and raised in Vancouver and in Salmon Arm, I can go play overseas. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. And I had this uh, weird agent here um, who was trying to get me these jobs (laughs) in, uh, in like Central America. And I don't know if anything was ever true that he was telling me. And then, uh, I was, you know, same kind of as going back to high school. I was sending over mixtapes and game film to random addresses in Europe. And uh, this guy, I don't, honestly, I think the world works in mysterious ways, but I got a response from this guy named Heinz in Austria. He yeah, emailed me and he said, oh, like, I think we got your highlight tape. Can you send us a full game tape? We like your highlight tape. And Rich Anderson was on that Yes, tape. shout out Richie. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know Rich at the time. Uh, I mean, I knew of him, but I'd, I'd never spoken to him. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so they send me a contract and I call Rich and I'm like, I, I somehow tracked down his phone number and I call him and, you know, Rich is like, you know, it's three in the afternoon. He just woke up and he's like, hello, you know, and I'm like, hey, like, is this team real? What is this all about? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. Come on. Yeah, it'll be fun. So I, uh, yeah, I signed with this team in a town called Vels, Austria, which is about an hour outside of Vienna. And I, uh, I'd never been to Europe before, you know, I actually back up my first flight ever was with the provincial team as a grade 10 
to Vegas. Come on. So the first airplane, yeah, I swear, first airplane ride. And then obviously it went on a lot after yeah. that. But uh, yeah, so go to Europe first time. And I had no idea what to expect. I'm thinking I'm flying in there and I've got to be like this hotshot import that's got to like, I'm going to just be lighting up this league. That's what I'm yeah. thinking, right? And I let, and I fly in and I'm like, why are all the roofs red? And where am I? And I fly into Munich, Germany. And this is 08, 07, I guess. And they're still smoking in the airport. And I was just shell-shocked. And I get out and all the signs are in German. And I, I hadn't even like looked up like what a German word. I, I just thought everyone spoke English. I had no concept of this. And my, my parents didn't really know. So I, uh, I'm literally like, I don't know where the baggage claim is. I know nothing. I've got two big duffel bags for the year. And that's it. And I'm like, I hope someone's here. I don't have a cell phone. Like, I hope someone's here. And uh, this guy named Heinz comes and picks me up. And he, he ends up being our team manager. And he picks me up in this big, like, logoed VW minivan and drives me through the Autobahn back to Austria, going like 180 kilometers an hour, talking with this crazy accent. I was just like, wow, welcome to Austria. So we get there. <laughs> and right away, I meet the team. And I meet Rich for the first time. We had, I think that team, we had like six Americans. And, uh, and we had this coach named Raul Corner, who to this day was probably one of the best coaches I've ever played for, but also the hardest, the most structured human being you've ever, you've ever had. Um, he's done, he's been extremely successful in his coaching career, but yeah, so that first year I get there, they give you a binder with, uh, each page is a calendar and every day has your schedule on it Oh snap! and your only days off are Sundays. Yeah. So I got there like August. He went, I, so I made the FISU team. Yeah. Uh, we're supposed to go to FISU games in, uh, in Thailand, and I would I, I I was playing great, and I would have I don't I don't think a lot of the D one guys were there. I think like I was going to be probably you know the leading scorer on that team, and uh, they wouldn't let me go. He said I want you here for preseason, so I was like, do I give up my first pro offer or do I go to Thailand with the boys? <laughs> so I probably made the wrong choice, but I went to Austria. I skipped out on FISU, and I went through the hardest preseason of my life. So I get there before you even go to your condo, they get they. Uh, put me on a treadmill and did the test where they prick you for uh, lactic acid until you, can know, you can't run anymore. And they measure everything. And, and I'm like, oh man, this isn't what I expected. And uh, it was a very like, this coach ran a very professional uh, setup. And uh, anyways, yeah, so preseason, I think was six or eight weeks, two a day, six days oh a week. Oh my God. Yeah, it was crazy. And it was every, if, if on our schedule, it said practice nine to 11, we would never once stop before 11. If practice, if we were kind of done what we needed to do by 10.30, we would do shooting drills until 11. And they'd blow the whistle at 11 on the dot, like such an organized, you know, German mentality. Mm -hmm. You know, my body that year changed. Like, you know, I just finished five years of university hoops where you think you'd, your body would change a lot. And I, that year, I think I, I can't remember the numbers, but I think I like gained like six pounds, lost like 12 lost like 8% body fat and could run like seven kilometers faster at the same heart rate, like something crazy. Mm -hmm. We were, we were, I was running like 13 kilometers as like a morning uh, training session. Whoa. It was crazy. Like, like three days a week on top of lifting for an hour. It was, it was wild. Um, and then that led to some injuries later on, but yeah, so that year was a huge eye opener. I, I, uh, you know, I thought I was going to go there and be the guy. And, you know, I had a, there was another guy on my team there, uh, Kendrick Davis, played at North Texas. 
they made the tournament his year um, and lost to Memphis with Derrick Rose. And he was a hell of a player. Like, he could just flat out hoop. So he was sort of my position. He and I would just battle every day, every day, battle, battle, battle. And it was like our practices were harder than our games. We had a power forward from Chicago. We had Rich. We had the national team, Austrian point guard. Like, we were, we were a good team. But we we just sort of underachieved. We had too many we had too many egos and head cases. And some of the American guys, like it was their first time in Europe, and they just couldn't adapt at all. Yeah, you know, coming from Texas, wondering like why there's no Walmart, why things are closing down at midnight, like just couldn't couldn't figure mm-hmm. it out. And I had a hard time with it too, if I'm being honest. Like the food was different. Yeah, I struggled a bit. And then I went, I signed back for a second year, and that year was incredible. That was probably one of the most fun basketball teams I've had. We were just we just meshed so well. So. We had a we had a stud who played at uh, UMass who wasn't a great college player mm-hmm. went to a starting starter league in like Denmark I think and then just became a hell of a player his name is Brandon Thomas uh, I think he's playing he's been playing he's still playing in uh, in top league Germany he played in Italy yeah he's a stud and so it was it was it was he and I and we had um, a, a big guy from uh, Washington who played at Montana uh, who was best big guy I played with to date. And we had Ricky. Do you remember the name Ricky Moore? Yes. Yeah. Uh, UConn, UConn national yeah, champion yeah. with like Rip Hamilton yeah, yeah. and those guys. So to put it in context, to put it in context, Ricky was our backup point guard that what? year. What? Yeah. Yeah. So he had he had played all over Europe, played in some big leagues. He came and he was he was our backup, and he was like he had he was a European vet at that time. He 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 should have made the NBA, but he had some injuries and he got caught up in a an agent scandal his last year at UConn. Um, but yeah, he was like, you know, they, they kind of messed around with their money for, a, for a little while in the playoffs. And Ricky was like, Nope, everybody leave, don't put your shoes on. He was just like the kind of leader that we needed. And we ended up winning the championship that year. And it was crazy. It was, it was like this small town that didn't have a soccer team. So we were their team and, uh, we, you know, parades and, you know, it was, it was incredible. It was so much fun. And the guys, like we were, you know, still like great friends with them and go down to Washington and see them and. You know, Brandon Thomas was in town. Uh, he came in, and I think he actually uh, put him in touch with um, Mark Traslini so they could work out. And you know, just just great people, and uh, you know, kind of lifelong friends. When you win a championship with people, you know, you've mm-hmm. you've done it, and uh, it's, you, you kind of you can't really take away that bond you have with those guys. So yeah, that was really special. And then they, they I had an injury that year. I tore my uh, plantar fascia, which was horrible, and then I, I kind of held out, wanted to thought I could get some more money. And I was like, I don't want to stay in a small town. Like part of me doing this is to travel into Europe. So I held, so I held out and I got injured and that kind of screwed me. And I ended up uh, going to Germany. Steve Jansen actually kind of helped me out. He, I, I didn't have a contract in September. Normally I normally I have a contract in August and I flew out to Germany. I don't really remember the whole order of events, but I stayed with him and Steve's a beauty and kind of took me, took care of me for a little bit. And, uh, and then this team that Osvaldo Genti full circle where he had been playing called Nordlingen, which was in South Germany. They somehow called me down. So I went down there and I thought I, I thought I was there for a job, thought I had a job and I got there and, uh, there was another guy from Carlton there actually. Um, and we showed up to practice and, and they're like, okay, we're, uh, we're going to keep either Casey or this other guy. I was like, oh geez, I thought, I thought I had a job. So yeah, we kind of scrapped it out. And uh, I ended up making that team, and that was that was probably the that was probably the worst year of basketball I've ever had. I was injured, and they were messing around with me. They told me if I didn't get an injection in my ankle, they'd they'd fire me. 
just weird things. We had, we were, we were terrible. They, they stopped paying us for a while. I could go on and on about Mm -hmm. that, but that was a tough year. Our, literally our home fans would boo us and like throw things at us. And, uh, I mean, I have so many, so many crazy stories about Europe with that stuff, but yeah. And then, uh, and then I went to Estonia, I up in Estonia and Rich, funny enough, again, full circle, Rich was on a different team in Estonia. He was in a small town. I was in the capital Tallinn and that was, that was a cool experience. And then when do you like, why, why is it like, okay, this is enough just sort of what, when does, yeah, that tough transition of starting to start to figure out life. I mean, I was, I was starting to get some nagging injuries. I was having a hard time with my feet and, and, I, and I was one of those guys that like, I couldn't take a summer off and then get in shape in preseason and have a good year. Like I, I was a 12 month of the year basketball player. I wasn't talented enough to just hang out for two months and show up to preseason mm-hmm. fat and figure it out. Right. So my body, I, I had a lot of miles in my body and yeah, you know, I was making decent money, like for a kid that age, but I wasn't going to retire off of it. Right. So I was like, you know, do I want to, you know, I was like, do I want to come back when I'm 35, 40 and then try to figure out life or, and then, you know, Randy, I was in Estonia. Uh, I was living in a hotel that year. I lived in a hotel the entire year. No way. And I remember. What's yeah, that food like? Yeah, it's it's kind of nice that someone makes your bed every, Fair. Single, every single Fair. morning. And, uh, we had this uh, Russian. Someone yeah. owned a restaurant? We had this Russian restaurant that they let us eat at twice a day. Yeah, that was a cool year that we, we played in the Baltic League and played against some amazing players. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so that year, I remember I was you know sitting in my bed on my computer uh, in between, between practices. And I think Randy kind of told me without telling me that he was leaving. And I was like, oh, I think I, I don't remember how the conversation went, but it was probably on like MSN Messenger or something. You had your status as a way for sure. hundred percent. And so I was sort of like, you know what, this could be a good segue to come back. You know, playing ball in Europe is good, but it's also super lonely. When basketball is going good, life's great. Right. But when it's not going great, it's it's kind of all it's kind of all you have up mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. You know, practice all day, play a couple games on the weekend or a game on the weekend, maybe have a night or two out and do it re- rinse and repeat. And that was a that was a that was a bit of a cold year. I mean, being a town was cold, but like, you know, we had like Russian ownership that would threaten. They cut my salary once. Uh, they fired. We had a we had a big guy. We had a seven footer who just finished playing the G League and came over and he was I don't know he was pretty good, but he had a few bad games. They called him up mid practice, fired him, and then he leaves the meeting. Call he's like, hey Casey, I want to talk to you. I go up there and he's like, see you, man, I'm out of here. And he had like kids, just got them at international school, and then I go in this meeting with big board table and there's the russian owner at the end with like a big fur hat on and me and a translator and uh he's looking at me down this table and he's speaking in russian and, and the guy's like yeah uh you've you've had a couple uh, off games uh, you've missed some shots they're gonna fine you for missing shots uh so they're gonna find you like 10 percent for like three months for missing shots and i'm like i'm like show me in my contract where it says that and he just gives me the the shoulder yeah just gives me the shoulder shrug you know my my teammate who had much higher basketball resume than I did just got fired. And I was like, I, I had it to be fair. I hadn't been playing very well. I'm like, I'm probably not gonna get a job right now. It's November. I was like, I looked at him and I was like, you know, this is BS. We both know this. And I was like, if I hit some shots, you're going to give me a bonus. He kind of laughed and then didn't say anything. <laughs> and then I said, all right, like, I don't really want to go home right now. So, you know, you just, that stuff wears on you. And I had, I had some like Russian teammates that were the best people and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I got to the point where I was like, you know, it could be a good segue to come home. So kind of got tipped off on this job and took that UBC assistant job. I feel like um, with all the like dope guests we've had, we could do like the European Chronicles. Everybody's got their own little crazy stories about like wild things that have happened, right? Yeah. Should write a book. 
And then transitioning to coaching, man, you, provincial team and then UBC basketball, like it must've been interesting just going straight from one to the other, you know, in, in a whole different perspective. And then obviously you end up just kind of walking away. It wasn't for you, but how was that time? And like, just pretty interesting transition. Not many people, you know, usually it's uh, coach a community team or you get involved in something and, um, and obviously you have a basketball mind, not to say that you're not qualified, but like to go from that to like the full-time assistant position is pretty wild, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the most fun summers I had coaching, I, that was that summer I moved back. I was living in North Van with this guy. Do you know Andy Wong? Of course. He's, I think he coaches one of the... Absolute yeah, beauty, yeah, yeah. So Great guy. Yeah. Just a great guy. Super good coach guy. too, so by Mike, the way. Yeah. He's, he's under the radar, man. That guy really knows the game for sure. Yeah, just a great, just a great human. But uh, yeah, Mike Morgan yes. was the coach, and Mike knew him from Cart. Oh boy, I, I haven't, I haven't heard, I haven't heard from, I haven't heard from Mike Morgan in like ten years. So, Mike, if you're listening, hit me up. I'd love I to. I text catch him up. all the time. We'll get it. We'll get a group thread going right after this. He's like doing admin in Langley, man. He's well. He's good. Good, good to hear. So that that summer, yeah, he he set me up with Andy. So I lived in Andy's second bedroom. I'd moved back, and uh, I was I was Mike's assistant on the I think it was the U15 team. And that was just such a fun summer coaching. You know, Mike was such a high energy guy. I had so much fun coaching with him. I think he gave me like, my job was to do like baseline and sideline out of bounds, something like that. And just like work on individuals with the guys. You know, I was still in like, you know, I was, I was a, at the best player I've ever been at that stage. When I retired, I was probably the, at my peak. And uh, so it was a lot of fun. We had, we had some great, we had some great talent on that. Like just athletic. I think some of the guys made the CFL. Uh, we had a, it was a fun team. And then I left that. I didn't have anything to do with recruiting at UBC. Like I kind of walked into this team and like Kev was away. He was coaching. I don't know if he's on holidays or he was coaching a national program or something, but basically he was like, yeah, like the team there's in kids fest, you know, like go meet the guys. And I'd like pick some guy up from the train station coming up from Seattle. And like, I've never met these guys. They never met me. It's just, all right, here we go. And it was a, it was a weird group of guys that year. It was like, it was just a strange group. And yeah, we had, we, we weren't, we weren't very good. We had some young talent, but you know, in CIS, you need old talent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had Malcolm Williams, who I, I don't know if he's still in the CFL, but he's in the CFL. We had Nakai. We did the, did the, like the, the, the best athletes out of BC mm -hmm. that year. But, you know, as a 18 year old, you can only do so much in the CIS. So, you know, I got to recruit that year and I had a, I had a really, like, I really enjoyed the recruiting process. You know, I, I, I recruited Connor Morgan. That was sort of my, my claim to fame in recruiting. And, you know, I, the first time I saw Connor play, I was coaching the, I, I don't know, if you 15 or 16s and we're down in Bellevue and I think they had like two or three courts going on and I'm sitting there chopping it up with a coach and on the far court, uh, there's a game going on and go, oh, that's a Victoria, the Victoria club team. And I was like, oh yeah. And I see this like long gangly blonde guy run up and down shooting threes. I'm like, oh, who's that over there? And they're like, oh, Connor, you got, you got cut from the provincial team. I'm like, oh, that seems weird. And then, uh, and then yeah, that year I kind of kept tabs on him and he came to the North fan uh invitation or whatever the north shore classic or the north shore whatever the term was called and i went out and watched him and i went out with my my roommate at the time brian and we watched him and he, he played just horrible but I, but you could just see you know it was just like anybody could see it right and i went down i talked to his dad after the game uh dave who's just a great great human knows the game and chatted with him and i was like yeah i you know i'm very interested in your son and blah 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 blah, blah. And i probably took four or five trips over to the island to watch him play and he, he never played well when i was there but he just knew he was going to be a good player and i, I convinced convinced Fern to come with me to watch him to kind of vouch for my opinion and uh yeah and then we got him and we got isaiah solomon who i was a huge supporter of like i 
I, I thought Isaiah could have been a great player. Anyway, so yeah, we the second year we were we were a little bit better. And but yeah, you know, as an assistant coach, like you're it's not your team. You're you know, you only have so much say. And you know, I, I just came from playing with, you know, a, a reasonably high level with some you know, I, I had a lot of ideas, a lot of things I wanted to do and you know, it, it, it makes it a bit challenging. So it's also it was also one of those things too where Kev wasn't going anywhere and there wasn't a lot of head coach a lot of head coaching jobs that I, I was gonna say ideal Canada. <laughs> Yeah, like mm-hmm. I, I wasn't going to move to Manitoba. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, like, you know, maybe I would, maybe I would move to the island. Maybe, you know, like the SFU or may, like maybe, yep. you know, it was just kind of, it was kind of bleak, uh, bleak career, career ideas. So, you know, Kevin and I had our, I think, you know, at some point we kind of had fractured our, uh, our trust in each other and our uh, respect for each other at some point. And, you know, I, I kind of made that decision halfway through my second year mm-hmm. uh, that I was, uh, I, you know. I was I was a goner. I was a goner. It was tough though. Like felt bad because you know when you you're recruiting these kids, like you're kind of like telling their parents that like yeah this is the best option for your kids, right? And we're gonna take care of them for five six years, and then you know they come in and, and then I I take off. So I felt bad about that, but all all the guys knew. I mean it wasn't it wasn't like hard hard to know that I I wasn't gonna be there. You know. Yeah, and I think people realize too like. At the end of the day, you've got to look out for yourself and do what you think is the best decision for you and, and your family or whoever's in your in your corner, right? So, and now what, man? Before we jump into the goofy questions, like, how's life? You know, you're happy, you're content, <laughs> you're, you know, you're moving, you got, you know, the four, the four Oops. of you, the four Archies and things are going well. Hey, you're happy with where you're at? Yeah, that's great. It's, uh, you know, it was obviously it was a great move for me to, to leave there and, uh, yeah, I mean, I've created a pretty pretty good business and have a lot of fun with it. And um, yeah, I've got a wife and four year old and a two year old, and life's crazy and fun. And <laughs> we travel a lot and do a lot of fun things. And life's good, man. Life's it's good. good. I do I do miss hoops though. I'm not gonna lie. I uh, I miss hoops. I got a call from a. I, I want to get back involved in some capacity. Andy Wong is at Collingwood. There you go. There you go. Yeah, those summers of coaching those provincials, like that was the most fun. Mm. Like that age when kids are into it and they're young enough, you can still kind of mess with them. Like you, you, you're, you're in it, you, you know, that's a funny, oh, yeah. kind of lot. Yeah. So I'll get involved at some, at some time. You yeah. Know, once life settles time. down a little bit and Leo is uh, not lying on first base or in the outfield, that baseball practice, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we could be waiting a while for that. <laughs> Right, man tell me though you finish a stressful baseball practice where your boy does nothing and you need some chips man what are you grabbing what are you grabbing from the store pre-covid i wouldn't grab chips i'd be grabbing chocolate and i'd be grabbing all of the chocolate like i would probably two two to three king size chocolate bars <laughs> what but bars some type of chocolate with peanut butter so either a reese or an oh henry peanut butter uh staple lately though lately i've just been throwing it back with a dairy milk fruit nut solid um, COVID got me on the chip the chip wagon though, which I'm not happy about if I'm being honest. This hasn't been good for me. It hasn't been good for me yet. But I would go. Uh, I would go if I'm doing chips. I would do either barbecue corn chips, or lately the lately the uh, the Barbara's crunchy Cheetos have gotten me. Wow, Corbs, are you here? Are you listening? I'm right here. Those? Oh, I'm right here. You know barbecue corn chips. Interesting. That's yeah. that's that's a first on a hoops journey. Yeah, yeah, it's a special. It's, 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 what were the crunchy Cheetos called? Barbara's. The Barbara's. Oh, yeah. if you don't know, try them. You, you won't be able to put them down until you finish the bag. 
Yeah. All right. But the corn chips, you gotta you gotta look usually on the bottom bottom shelf. Uh, but they're there and they're good. You have to go on the bag, just dust them off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Check the expiration date. <laughs> Who's the goat? MJ. Uh, I mean, uh, you can argue LeBron just because of what he's done. And honestly, what LeBron's done could be more impressive, like winning on different teams. Like, that's tough. But for me, growing up, it was MJ. So I'll say MJ. He's way more likable. Cannot like him. Fair. You did end up on both sides of the ball. So who are some of the best players that, if you remember when you coached, but, you know, you mentioned some names about playing against and playing with. Is there anybody that sticks out there? I mean, obviously you played against the American team. So, you know, Carmelo Anthony's a decent basketball player, but was there someone that just sticks out where you're like, damn, we battled? Yeah. You know what? Like, I mean, I had a stint with the national team where we played Spain. So like played against the NBA guys like Rudy Fernandez and Gasol and those guys. But like, those are easy. Those are easy ones. But when when I was in Estonia in the Baltic League, there were some guys there that I don't even know their names, Latvian guys that were just hoopers. Mm. Um, that you know they were just so hard to guard. You'd get hit by ten screens, just always sprinting, always moving. And those guys were I found to be harder harder to guard, honestly. Um, and there was a guy. Do you remember? Do you remember the name? I think he was a UConn guy too, Rashad Anderson. Rashad Anderson. I think he was just after Ricky. He was a, like a six-four shooter. He played. Uh, oh yeah, I remember this we dude. I'm him. looking him up right now. I, I remember him. So he he was a really good player, and we we when we played them, he was just so efficient, and and that was what made him really good in that in that league. You know, he I think he was like ten for 13, 26 points, like one of those type mm-hmm, of lines, mm-hmm. and with me like draped all over him. You know. Guys like that impressed me more, honestly. I always thought those guys were so tough to guard. Mm. Who's been the most important person in your life or people? I mean, the easy answer is your parents, your family. Mm. I mean, to this day, my sister is probably, you know, one of my best friends. We're super close. You know, my my dad pushed me hard as a kid to the point where it probably impacted our relationship. Mm. Uh, We used to have a, you know, I mentioned it was a 30-minute ride home from, from Sam and I'm home. We had a lot of a lot of silent drives and my mom was you know she was she was a rock she she took us everywhere you know we'd sleep in she'd sleep in the jeep on the way to vancouver and so it was it was huge but i had so many impactful people at different points of my life you know like you could say that about some of my friends you could say that about my wife you could say that about my grade eight coach my ian mctavish introducing me to hoops and you know so many different people at different intersections where you could go one way or another so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I mean, family is obviously the backbone from the early days. Yeah, Nice. I like that, though. It's true, though. It's like little segments and pockets of your life, people impact you and get you to where you need to go. You know, there's some consistent ones throughout that whole period. But, yeah, for sure. Thanks for saying your wife. Yes. She listens, right? <laughs> and for you, I mean, you're a teacher. Like you, you, I guarantee you've had these impactful moments on kids where you may not know mm-hmm. it. But, you know, you said something to a kid. And he's decided to go one way in life because of something you said, mm-hmm. you know, and like I've had, I have moments where like I remember teachers saying the same things. So props to you guys. Thanks, man. I don't know. Love what I do. So it's, it doesn't feel that way, but that's, that's good to hear. Upon macaroni. Uh, so my mom used to make a, like a homemade macaroni that was like thick and like a heavy duty mac and you, you need to catch up on it to get it okay. down. Uh, but craft dinner. No, I don't, I don't really, I don't really eat much ketchup anymore. To be honest, I don't, I don't even really use it with French fries and more of like a without. Yeah. So probably not. Fair enough, man. I, you know what? The more fries that I try, the more the better without ketchup. If I'm if I'm being totally open and honest myself, you know, 
Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I think, I think. Well, Dom Zimmerman did not like that answer. <laughs> well, as a dad now, you're too rushed. You're, you're trying to oh. eat while driving, while doing everything. Quite a, you don't have time to dip. You don't have time to open up the ketchup. Yeah. yeah. It's true. Yeah, there's no time for that. It's true. Dead or alive. Doesn't matter who you're going with. We're not here to question that. But is there a concert that you'd love to see? A couple, a couple people you'd love to see perform live. I'm not a big concert guy. I know you probably don't like. No, that. no. Um, first concert I went to. Don't say Paw Patrol. Jay Z, Kanye. That's okay. Wow. Epic. Wash the Thrones. Epic. First concert. Is second, that when they did? Um, last concert. I, is that when they did like ends in Paris like 15 times? Yeah. Yeah. Great yeah. show. Yeah. It's good. Great. It was concert. very good. Great yeah. concert. Uh, and then the second and last one I've been to uh, was the Bad Boys reunion tour in Vegas. What? Okay, first of all, F- questions F- here. F- questions, F- questions. F- yeah, let's run this back. Yeah. You've only been to two <laughs> concerts in your life? Correct. I mean, I'm not counting like the beer gardens at SFU where there's somebody playing that you don't know who they no. are. No, 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 no. Playing the guitar, the harmonica and singing all by themselves. No. Okay. And then the Bad Boys reunion tour. You had you saw Mace? Mace was there? M.A. Dollar Sign, uh, DMX, R.I.P., Diddy. It was one for the ages. I, I wish I could go back. Where was it? MGM? Yeah. It was at the MGM, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, we were, like, stage side, right beside the stage. Faith, Faith was there. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But you've only been to yeah, two concerts your entire one. life, and those are the two. That's it. That's not, that's not that's a bad it. list for your two Yeah, concerts. it could definitely be worse. Yeah. Uh, if... If I could go to any now, uh, I mean, I'd go back to the Bad Boy reunion tour, uh, but I think seeing uh, Michael Jackson live would be epic. Oh, that would be, yeah. Good call. Yeah. There, okay. There you go. Keep me entertained. Um, Corbs, you got for Mr. Archibald. Uh, hobby you wish you, you would have picked up or wish you Ooh. could start right now? Ooh, great question, Corbs. Um, I would love to know how to play the guitar. I mean, my, uh, mm. you know, J.Y. Carlo being around those guys, just picking it up, strumming it, love it. Have zero musical bones in my body. But even like being around Levon and his family where they can just play every instrument, always been a bit envious of being able to do that. No singing though, hey? No, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just confirming. I was just confirming. I, I figured I knew the answer, but I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> no, no, nobody needs to hear that. I know you don't have much time. Do you read or do you have a quote? Anything you live by? Is there a book that you've read recently, last six, 12 months? Or a book that sticks Mantra, out to maybe. you? Yeah. As a kid, I had I posted all over my bedroom. That was crazy. Uh, a lot were from Triano and Scott. One that I had um, up on my wall that still I remember it, so it must be impactful, was uh, nothing is more expensive than a missed opportunity. Ooh. So something that I definitely live by like on a day-to-day basketball thing and something that I live by on the business stage. Book, I loved The Shoe Dog. Oh, yeah? Phil Knight. Oh. Story about Nike. It's my it's probably one of my favorite books. I also love basically anything by Coelho, or Paul Coelho. I don't know how to say his name. That the guy who wrote The Alchemist. Love his, yep. his mm-hmm. books. Yeah, those are those are would be my main go tos. Nice man. I haven't read Shoe Dog. I got to get into that. A, lot, a few people have said it's really, oh, really good. Yeah, it's, it's it's great. Yeah, it's really cool. really enjoyable. And then upon reflection, you know, we've already talked a little bit about wanting to get ball back in your life, and I'm sure you'll find a way to have that the beautiful game sort of be part of you again, but. If you could do it all again, you would what? Um, yeah, it's I'm pretty pretty happy with how life has turned out. You know, it's in a good stage. Um, you know, feel very fortunate to be where I am. Um, you know, there's things that I would have changed along the way. You know, how you treat certain people, certain decisions you make, certain times 
maybe taking basketball more seriously, maybe taking it less seriously, you know, little things like that. But on the grand scheme of things, you know, I think things turned out the way they were supposed to. Sometimes I wonder, do I stay in Europe a couple more years longer to see where that goes? I talked to an agent when I retired. He's like, why are you retiring? You're at your peak. Sometimes I wonder, you know, do I go, you know, five years at one program, it's a long time. Mm-hmm. Do I go down south to give it a shot and then you can always come back? But at the same time, like my best friends to this day are from because I went to UBC. Mm. And I feel very fortunate to have like the group, the group of friends I have. So, you know, it's, there's always the curiosity, what would life look like if you went a different route? But pretty happy with how things ended up. Sure, man. As you sit in the basement with your top level of your house being renovated for who knows how long. But yeah, no, it's good, man. And I think it's true, though, right? I think we all have moments in our lives where we're like, well, what if? But beat yourself up about it because, you know, if you're where you are and you're happy with where you're going, I mean, what else is there needed, right? So it's just an interesting question to hear people's perspective. Any last reflections or thoughts or a shout out that you missed that, um, you know, we were glad to have you on, man. It's a good one. Yeah. Thanks. No, I love what you guys are doing. This is great. It's uh, It's been fun uh, because I've been sort of disconnected from the basketball community for a, for a few years. It's been nice because pretty much everybody that you have on, I would say 75% of them, I probably listened to about 75% of them. I've got a few to listen to, but I either know, know them or I know of them or they're talking about people I know and it, it takes me back and it brings back some memories. So thanks for doing it. It's awesome. I've been really enjoying it and kind of reminiscing on some a, a, a past life of mine and uh you know it, it's made me connect with some people that uh i haven't connected with for a while so yeah it's been awesome cool man yeah no and it's it like i know you periodically you'll just whatever you're probably out going between showings or something you throw on the episode and listen to half an hour of what and then you send me something about something and i like those are that's what it's about for us like just those little messages mm-hmm. where people are like wow i didn't know that about that person or i connected here and you know, like Kev Keeler has been texting me the last couple of days just about, you know, you talked about him, right? You're like, he seems like a super good guy. And it's like, we don't know these people, but we get the opportunity to like hear their story. It kind of creates a bigger yeah. picture, right? And he's been able to connect with a whole bunch of people from out east, right? So that's kind of what it's about, man. It's fun. And again, we always say it, Corbs and I selfishly like, we'll end this call with you. And then we mm-hmm. talk about everything. And we're like, oh, this was dope and that, and you know what I mean? So it's all around just a fun time, you know? So it's been it's been so cool seeing you guys do this and evolve it and oh. you know I'm I'm still blown away by oranges. <laughs> That's my favorite moment so far, <laughs> hands down. My I don't know Kim. I I think she I think we we played around the same era. I don't know her personally, but that's I think my favorite moment on this episode, on the show. I really like Blue oranges. Oranges. <laughs> and then as I'm like looking at myself, I see me and I'm like. Yeah, she's like 30-something and still playing like in the Olympics. And then there's me like, yeah, she probably, there's a reason. Yeah, she likes oranges and I eat chips, so. Chips all down your face, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dope, man. We appreciate you. Corbs, any last any last questions awesome. or anything for uh, Casey before we let him go? No, just uh, happy that, uh, you know, that for probably you're not the only one, Casey, that's, you know, just give, giving him, you know, giving the people the taste of a life that they once had, you know, people they once played against and people that you cross paths with and stuff. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's such a small community, but we're all like, it's all brothers, right? We're all part of the yeah. same, we all did the same thing. And I know like, I think for you, Mitch, like you, this got you reconnected with Jordy, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. We text a lot. Yeah, he's getting back into coaching a little bit. And, Is he? Is you he know, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's working with the kids up there. He actually 
wants to maybe figure out if he can come down or bring the guys down and just do like a jamboree or something like that and play against some teams. Yeah. So it's fun, man. Yeah. Just little things like that, right? He was very influential for me. He was huge. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how he couldn't have been, uh, you know, up there and you mentioned his dad too, right? So it's awesome, man. Just spreading the word and the love and, you know, we're always happy to have, uh, you know, UBC guy representing the coho, good dude. Um, appreciate you, man. Appreciate you being on. Um, and, and I think Thanks. like, uh, appreciate it guys. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, we'll end it with, I think, you know, one of the things is you're a super humble dude and I don't like, just give a quick Google, check the numbers, check the stats. They don't lie. Um, there's a couple of nice photos with you with a nice hairline too, which, um, <laughs> is not happening as much anymore there, buddy. You're starting to look like me a little more. <laughs> But you're the man. We were honored to have you on, brother, and we wish you nothing but success. Hope that renovation goes well. You and the family enjoy some holidays or whatever it is you're planning to do for the next little bit. All right, brother? Thank you, sir. Okay, man. Be well. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to our sponsors, Parkside and Good Lad. We'll see you on the next episode. Keep riding with us. Like, comment, subscribe, whatever you need to do. And we'll see you for episode 63. Peace. Peace.